It's time to get in the zone. The Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? Get involved with the show by following us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Want a piece of that championship? Put it in here. This is the Fantasy Football Zone. Welcome back into the Fantasy Football Zone. We got Corey Smith again joining us, helping us out with the Rotowire again, breaking it all down as we need help. Because it is, it's playoff time. It depends, I guess, what league format you're in. I, mean, I know there's some 10-team leagues out there. That you, you do the four teams, and so next week you'll start your playoffs. But for the bigger leagues, here we are. It's money time. Playoffs? Yep. <laughs> As uh, Coach Morrow would say, hey, it's, it's crunch time, and uh, here we go. We've got some fun upsets to talk about in real-life football and some fantasy insights from Week 13. So, again, we're coming off another wild week where we had a Tuesday night game uh, last night to finish off the week, and then, boom, here we are right back into it, basically. This week we have a Thursday night game, so we're not far from football as uh, we got uh, this big week starting up again tomorrow night. And let's just kick this all off with, uh, I guess, I would say, you know, the Washington upset, yeah, that's probably number one, but this one was sneaky good. We, You know, we were wondering how good is this Giants team? Well, they proved us when they went on the road and they beat the Seahawks. Yeah, stunned Seattle here 17-12. to 12. Another argument for not taking a running back top 10 or top 15 in the draft other than just a plethora of injuries to this position. Wayne Gallman, again, proven that. He's been really stellar against the top five rush defense in Seattle. He goes for 135. Big blue, 190 on the ground as a team. So that's kind of what you have to do in a situation like this. Play good defense, work the clock. And Colt McCoy wasn't terrible, Paul. He stepped in and was decent to help the Giants get, at the time, the biggest upset of the season, overcoming that 10.5-point spread. And i got to be wondering, too, Seattle offense, it's been a little shaky here the last couple games. It has, and i got to wonder if it's something with the play calling. It just seems out of sync we were talking about. When these Seattle issues kind of started a month, maybe five weeks back, Felt like Russ was kind of pushing. The defense was really struggling. But now, I don't know, not necessarily. I mean, they held the Giants under 20 here. Just seems like the play calling, that may be what's out of sync. But I can't quite put my finger on it here. Of course, DK Metcalf had a legendary stiff arm in this game. So, some nice highlights. But again, Patrick Graham's defense, this Giants defense, has been one of the most surprising, I mean, just developments of this whole season. They're ninth in scoring defense. And I was wrong on Leonard Williams, I think. There's no question about that that criticized him getting the franchise tag but again huge game here late game sack seals it he's already got eight and a half sacks which is a career high for him so Leonard Williams cashing in on that franchise tag and he's making the Jets look even more foolish exactly another Jet (laughs) on a greener pastures yes uh Packers they put away the Eagles 30 to 16 it was uh just a big offensive performance all around and Aaron Jones highlighted that huge 70 70 yard touchdown run that uh, put the game away I mean that was pretty much all they really needed in Philadelphia and they made the news here that they're going with Jalen Hurts here at least for this week so obviously they continue to stumble they kept it relatively close I mean that Jones touchdown was really what put the game on ice it was kind of a Marshawn Lynch light. I counted five missed tackles on that play. Just <laughs> phenomenal player, time after time proves it. And, I mean, last week, Paul, I was talking about, I just didn't see what the benefit was in sitting Wentz down. I mean, he, he's been looking terrible, but I'm saying, you know, their offensive line, the skill position players have not really been up to snuff. How much better is this rookie, who I think may have been a little overdrafted in Hurts, how is he going to fare any better? But, I mean, the more and more we see it, Paul, it just seems like Wentz, 
he needs a mental break at this point. It's looking kind of skittish in the pocket, missing touch throws, but it's not going to be easy for Jalen this week. I mean, the Saints, one of the toughest defenses in the NFL, two to nine touchdown interception ratio forced the last four weeks here. And with the Packers in that offense, I mean, how many fantasy owners are in good position here this championship weekend because they got Aaron Rodgers? Because remember when we started this thing, he wasn't going in the top 10 in a lot of these drafts, and uh, you got a steal for what he's producing right now. Yeah, it does seem foolish in retrospect that he was not even in that top 7-8 range with the upside that he has. I mean, I know last year, a little bit down statistically, still a ridiculous efficiency rating with his touchdown interceptions again. So yeah, he's been just a goldmine this year. And it's unbelievable what one year can do to change kind of the perception on a player in fantasy, even a Hall of Famer like Rodgers. And, and I got suit his wide receiver, Devontae Adams, you know, coming into this season, we thought Michael Thomas, far and above the number one wide receiver. DeAndre Hopkins earlier in the season looked like, oh, maybe he is the number one guy. But I tell you, Devontae Adams, he has proven he's the number one receiver right now. And I think going into 2021, next year for fantasy drafts, I think he's got to be the first one off the board the way if it keeps on going this way. I don't see why not. I mean, him and Hopkins, uh, yeah, we haven't quite seen it from Thomas. He's shown a little life, but Adams just seems like the surest deal. On the other end, I mean, Darius Slay for the Eagles continues to get eaten up in coverage. <laughs> yeah. Back-to-back weeks now. I mean, last week it was DK Metcalf. Tough, tough matchup, but you expect your Pro Bowl corner. Guys made the Pro Bowl the last two seasons. You're going to pay him the big money step up a little bit more. So far, 75% completion rate allowed, three touchdowns allowed, and no picks. Pretty far off from his 2018-2019 numbers. So, yeah, that's that's a big reason why they're struggling on defense. Slay hasn't quite been up to the contract here. A game that was kind of strange because you saw the score and you're like, boy, they had to put up monster numbers off, you know, Cam. And, uh, you know, the backfield, they had to just put up monster fantasy numbers. It was the Patriots all over the Chargers, uh, 45 zip. And uh, I think this is the game that uh, cements Anthony Lynn is not going to have a job next year. But, I mean, they just raced all over him. But the, the fantasy numbers weren't just off the charts in this one. Exactly. We had a punt return for a touchdown by Ashevsky. Right before the half, we had a Chargers long field goal attempt blocked brought back for a touchdown. So huge day from the Patriots defense slash special teams. But again, just unbelievable from Cam. He's he's held it together, but this stat just stands out. Hasn't had a single game all season with two or more touchdown passes. Not one game and in eleven appearances has he thrown multiple TDs. Finds a way on the ground. He still looks like 2016 cam at points he's still bowling people over in the red zone i think it's something to do with health surely the shoulder he wasn't doing this last year with carolina early in the season the passing still hasn't been there but as a rusher they're building that offense around his strength and you know back to 500 in the mix here and on the chargers side i mean we are in the uh, in the biggest time of the year for fantasy it's you want to buy into Justin Herbert because, you know, he did fantastic. This, I guess, was probably his worst game of the year. Can you trust these guys down the stretch after getting a big loss like that? I mean, it is an anomaly from him. One thing you'd think about is, well, Belichick is just great against young quarterbacks. So yeah. is that just what this is? Is it going to be a one-game one situation? Or is it going to be a situation, alternatively, where other coordinators catch on see what Belichick was doing and you know they kind of catch up to Herbert's fastball I just think he was so prolific Belichick is really one of a kind here he's still going to have some good weeks he was almost automatic 
and this was really his first down step, as you noted. I mean, obviously, they've lost a lot this year, but he's put up numbers week in, week out. I still think he's a pretty safe bet for definitely being a top 10, probably close to top five. I, I am leaning towards it being just a weird week for him up against Belichick. Up next, man, I was watching the bottom line on this score because we didn't have the game locally, but uh, the Jets and the Raiders. It looked like they were going to win. I All of a sudden, I saw the score change with five seconds left, and I'm like, of course it did. And then when you see the highlight and the decision that went into it, how they lost, yes, that was totally a Jets move, and Greg Williams, get out of here. I mean, this is a decision and a play, Paul, that, that could have reverberations for the next 10 years. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something, a play that we're going to be talking about a long time from now. Greg Williams, the all-out blitz with five seconds left. This is how rare that decision was. And I mean, he left undrafted rookie Lamar Jackson one-on-one with Ruggs. That is not a scenario you want to have your guy in there. But this is how rare it was from Williams, the kind of just hard-headedness. Last 15 seasons, there have been 252 instances where a team led by four to eight points with less than 15 seconds left and they had the opponent at the 40 yard line or further out so almost a hail mary situation last 15 years never has a team sent six or more blisters in that scenario until greg williams happened so yeah they they let this one slip away sam darnold was upset adam gates can't let it go of course but here are the jets i don't think it could have gotten any better the jags lost again so they needed to lose they're on the verge of becoming the fifth winless team since World War II and the third 0-16 team all time. And for the Raiders, it's just like, boy, we we lucked out here. But again, another week where this team is very hard to figure out because they play so good against some of the top, like Kansas City. They beat the Saints. They've got some good wins on their resume this year. But it's these teams, they let them hang around. They just can't blow them out. And it's, it's wondered what's going on. No, and the Falcons last week, they just looked yeah. terrible. Uh, let's see, down the stretch here, I mean, they do have a couple easy games, Chargers and Broncos, currently 7-5. and five, So that would get them to 9 right there. But also the Colts and Dolphins in the mix. You just do not know what you're going to get week to week with this team. Is Derek Carr ever going to be an elite quarterback? I don't think so. We're going to see flashes where he is week to week uh, occasionally, but I don't think we're ever going to see it season long, like what we do with only a couple of quarterbacks in the league. And yeah, they're just incredibly inconsistent. And the Colts this week, also kind of the Jekyll and Hyde team. That'll be an interesting week 14 matchup here in the AFC. Yes, it will. It'll be interesting. Uh, Yeah, kind of the two of the same kind of teams going against each other. Uh, The Lions, they, what are they doing? They're winning games now. They've decided, hey, we'll we'll play for Daryl Bevel. We won't for Matt Patricia. And uh, Daryl Bevel, the former Badger, gets his first win as an interim head coach in the NFL. And another just terrible loss for the Bears. They continue to slide after that 5-1 and one start. Now six straight losses. They take the 10-point lead with 11 minutes left. Led by 10, they held that lead for the last two and a half minutes before we had the Stafford breakthrough. Hits Jones for the 25-yard touchdown. But then it seemed like, you know, the Bears, they just got to pick up a couple first downs. Play it safe here. They're going to ice this game away. Trubisky sacked by Aquara. Low-key, the, the Lions' best pass rusher this season. Trubisky takes a sack, fumbles, and, you know, of course, from that point, you know the Lions are going to go on to win. I just think it's 
they're dead as a doornail with Trubisky. I don't even know if they can have him around next year. And I think you got to keep Nagy. He, he does seem like a good coach. He didn't pick Trubisky. Mm-hmm. He was uh, kind of uh, saddled with, with him. But that was Ryan Pace's decision as general manager. So we'll see about in the front office if he sticks around beyond 2020. And Odell Beckham uh, making some news. What, what did he say this week? Yeah, some big news from, you know, the man we expect from here on the Patrick McFadden and uh, Patrick Peterson on their podcast. Comments on the Giants this week saying he never wanted to win a championship for any other team more than the Giants. Was very proud to be a part of the organization, but the very interesting quote that came out of it saying that he felt this coach quote-unquote, not specifying, told younger guys on the team to stay away from them because of them not being a good person, a good role model. We know they're out of the building. There's no more Pat Shermer, uh, some of those people that were kind of butting heads. It's a different scene over there, but it just continues with Odell. There's noise. Here he is. 29, coming off an ACL. Note this one here, too. $12.8 million salary for him in 2021 becomes guaranteed the third league day of 20 of next year. If the Browns don't part ways with him, there is a potential out, and I don't know what his value is going to look like anymore, Paul. He is really, the injuries has brought him down a lot the last couple of years, and we see the Browns 9-3 and three without him right now. Yeah, and the way they've run their offense now, I don't think he fits into the plans next year. I just don't see it. You, you have Kareem Hunt. I mean, you got to try. I don't know his situation. I think they got to try to re-sign him. But if you have Hunt and Chubb going one, two, they have proven they have a way to work these two guys in. And you know, you're, that's a whole lot of bunch of money for him. And uh, he didn't really produce. I mean, the one game against Dallas, he did. Yes, they they got him the ball and whatnot. But other than that. It's been an unsuccessful two-year experiment, and uh, you point out some good facts. I think it's over next year. I agree. If it's going to be one or the other, Kareem Hunt seems to lend a lot more for what they do offensively. they still got pretty good tight ends. They gave Hooper a lot of money. And, you know, Jarvis, when he's the only guy, he's proven in Miami with Cleveland. He, he can do it. Yeah. So I just don't – it's kind of repetitive, honestly, and just simply not producing, like – 2016-2017 OBJ. More takeaways from the week. Cowboys and Ravens, boy. It, this was just a strange situation, obviously, with the Ravens' uh, COVID effects, how this was a Tuesday night game. And then all of a sudden the word comes down right after warm-ups. Yeah, Des Bryant's going to miss this game because he has tested positive. And I was listening to the Fox broadcast we don't know what the situation of this game is right now with the contract tracing and all this. Well, we'll find out. And then Jay Glazer came on and said, well, apparently the league, everything's fine, so they're going to play. I mean, it was just crazy situation. Yeah, the medical, basically, president of operations for the NFL saying they followed all protocols. Kind of the speed at which everything developed shouldn't have been a reflection of their thoroughness in handling this. But at the same time, you got to wonder, I mean, you have a – First of all, the COVID issues they've had, the Ravens, they brought like 10 players off COVID since Thanksgiving. And then right after you see him out there without a mask, he's hugging guys, he's kissing yes. guys. You're like, what, what's going on here? But, yeah. I mean, the game went on as scheduled, and uh, the NFL are saying it's all right. So I guess we'll take them at their word. Dez forced to break out the wine, get on Twitter. He, he was on one, calmed down a little bit as the night went on, but uh, it was entertaining for sure. And Dallas, I mean, they made it close for a little while, but, again, the, the defense so just – we knew it was their weakness. 
And it was Baltimore blew them away after that in the th- mid-third quarter to the rest of the game. Yeah, just death by a thousand cuts, and they started to break off big runs here. Nearly 300 team rushing yards for Baltimore on the night. Just the second time since the start of last season, a team has had three different players go for 70-plus rushing yards with Jackson, Gus Bus, J.K. Dobbins, all breaking that milestone. And, you know, Cowboys defense against the run has just been horrific. The only other time that's happened since the start of last season was earlier this year. They gave up three different 70-yard rushers against the Browns. And then you look at the whole season, there's been, you know, the six biggest rushing performances a team has had. They've given up three of them. They've given up 260 rushing yards in three different games at the Cowboys. So it's it's just been pitiful. We talked about their pass defense earlier. That's really what their you know Achilles heel was the first quarter of the season. It's kind of turned into the rush defense. And Leighton Vanderesh, he looked lost out there at points last night, especially on that 37-yard run from Jackson yeah. with the touchdown. Yeah, that looked really bad. And I just wonder, they Mike Nolan cannot be around next year, can he? After this, because it seems like last year, even with Garrett. No, the defense wasn't great, but I don't think they would have this bad of a record this year if they kept the same defensive schemes, whatever. They just don't have the right players for his system, and it's just showing each week. Yeah, I I think he's a little bit of a dinosaur. In this NFL, it seems like no one else was offering him a job. It was uh, (laughs) kind of those McCarthy basement meetings that they brainstormed up. Mike Nolan brought him him back from the dead. So (laughs) if McCarthy's there next year, which I think they will give him another run, no Dak, this season Uh, I don't think they should bring back Mike Nolan to me you know it's a pretty high profile job they'd have to coach on a pre-existing staff but you'd think they could do a little bit better heading in 2021 and certainly personnel has to improve as well yeah I mean that was like you said the Vander Ash looked terrible on that uh, run and you know on the offense for the Cowboys yes the offensive line you could tell the injuries that's what's affecting Zeke a lot they put up some decent numbers at the wideout position, though, last night. Yeah, I mean, they're down to their third-string tackle, but still getting it done through the air, getting the ball out quicker. I guess Dalton's just settling in a little bit more. Gallup, pretty productive, seven catches, 86, and a touchdown. Cooper had a touchdown of his own, five catches for 43, so solid from each of them. CD had an okay game, didn't get a touchdown, though, but really just a lot of empty stats. Kept it close, but again, in the fourth quarter, you knew what was going to happen. They need a defense to build this thing, got to get their line back, figure out Dak's contract, but now it's really a two-team race in the NFC East, I should say. Washington and the Giants, it's pretty much uh, good night for the Cowboys and the Eagles at this point. When you get flexed out of a primetime game and you're the Dallas Cowboys, you know things are going bad. That's a bad look. <laughs> Certainly injury riddled, but whoever's out there, we've seen other coaches put it together. It's just not been a pretty picture 2020 for the Cowboys. And one more Baltimore note, Hollywood Brown. He might be a guy that you're wondering if you should be playing each week or not, maybe down on that flex spot. Last two weeks, two touchdowns from him. What, how, what level, I guess, of comfort do you have moving forward with him that Maybe him and Lamar are starting to find a connection or not. I don't know. I mean, it's money time here. We got to make the smart moves, but is a he a guy we can believe down the stretch? I'd say the confidence would be lukewarm, even though he's had touchdown catches the last two weeks. Did get a little bit lucky on that McSorley one. Just a huge play that got him a ton of points all at once. I mean, he did it, but at the same time, maybe a little fluky prior to this two-game run. 40 or fewer receiving yards in three straight games. 
They do have a good matchup against the Browns. They've not been great against the pass. It's going to be a fun Monday night game. But again, you think about this. I mean, Lamar Jackson, he threw for 107 yards in this game. He looks better. Hollywood Brown certainly showing more life, but I can't just give him the stamp of approval for the for the flex spot just because it's a low-volume attack, and he's usually going to need to cash in with a big play or a touchdown for it to be worth it. Up next, the upset of the week. Washington knocked Pittsburgh off from the undefeated, so the Miami Dolphins, once again, we can get that yearly picture of them popping champagne as the only undefeated team. And uh, this Washington team, uh, again, Tough, gritty performance against the Steelers. Not a single sack for them, but as Chase Young said, their defensive line dominated this game. and They got gifted there with an officiating error at the end of the first half, got them a field goal try they shouldn't have had after Alex Smith ran off the field with the ball. But, hey, I mean, the defense, they did their job. The highest number of batted and deflected balls at the line of scrimmage during a single game in Ben Roethlisberger's career. One in particular deflection by Montez Sweat there, final two minutes, led to a John Bostic pick, and that helped them put the game on ice with another field goal. Yeah, they, they are really showing life, and we picked them, both of us, as the NFC East winner. We know it's those two teams with the Giants. And I still feel pretty good about him, 3-1 and one now, with Alex Smith just getting it done under center. Yeah, I mean, that was nice to see that uh, the offense, they were rolling, the defense was there. I know there's a little concern uh, with Antonio Gibson here. Uh, what do we uh, know of the latest from him? Yeah, I know he got banged up in that game here. It seems like he's going to be doubtful for Week 14 with the turf toe officially diagnosed according to Ian Rappaport today. So it's on his left foot, finished with just 14 yards over two carries. If you started him, which I don't know how you couldn't, he's been excellent this season, has a rookie. Yeah. Hardly got you anything, and I wouldn't rely on him for Week 14. J.D. McKissick may be a little bit of a larger role for him. We know he's been PPR darling all season. And then Peyton Barber, he's probably the one who will get a little bit more work as an inside runner. If he pops a touchdown, he could be okay if you're desperate in a deeper league. And on the Pittsburgh side of things, I mean, they – They seem like them and Seattle are the same team on offense because they were rolling, and all of a sudden the last couple weeks this Pittsburgh offense has been bogged down quite a bit. Yeah, and they've become one-dimensional. They've got nothing on the ground. I mean, sure, no James Conner for this game. He just came off the reserve COVID-19 list on Wednesday after the game. So, I mean, maybe when they get him back, that'll make them a little bit more formidable on the ground. But Big Ben at this stage can't stretch it as he has been able to. They're more of a dink-and-dunk type operation, and when the ground attack isn't working, against a team like Washington, it probably won't. They're going to be really one-dimensional. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I see it right now. They're just a short passing game type offense, and they need the the running game to click a little bit more, and we'll see if Connor can provide that with Snell. It's just nothing cooking between uh, Snell and who's the other guy they got back there. Samuels. Yeah, I mean, there's not much cooking between the two of them. And of course, uh, you know, they're the 12th team to come out 11 and 0, and uh, they lose. But uh, that's not always a good recipe that you're going to win the Super Bowl. It looks like early in NFL history, I guess so. But the last six times that a team has started 11 and 0, only one of them has actually gone on to win the Super Bowl. That being the 2009 Saints. I mean, we touched on it. This is a really good team. We even said last week. I don't know. This doesn't seem quite like an 11 and 0 team. Maybe more of a they should be 8 and 3, 9 and 2, something like that based on the way they've played and escaped a couple of games and now the defensive injuries are starting to pile up. Bud Dupree, huge injury, 
he's done for the season with a torn ACL. And then also Robert Spillane in this in this Monday night game here, he's expected to miss time with the knee. So they're starting to pile up here, attrition on the uh, Steelers defense, see if they can overcome it. That's really what made them a Super Bowl contender. Yes, it was. And uh, some fantasy updates, I guess, uh, with the uh, wide receiver front uh, on the Steelers. Yeah, I mean, Deontay Johnson having some drop issues here, but both him and Washington go for 70-plus yards receiving. Both get a touchdown. I mean, they did have to go to the air a bit more, just 21 yards rushing on 14 attempts. So that's kind of what amplified those receivers a bit for Pittsburgh. Meanwhile, for Washington, just a ghastly, uh, ghastly week 13 from Terry McLaurin. Two catches for 14. It was Cam Sims who had a really nice catch for them. He had five for 92. And Logan Thomas continues to be useful for stretches if you're looking for a tight end. He's been a double-digit kind of PPR guy more often than not this season at tight end. So here we go. Uh, Washington and the Giants, both at five and seven, both the Giants. They, they got that tiebreaker over their division right. Up next, the Bills with a big win over the San Francisco 49ers. I like how you put it here, of Arizona. Yeah, it was just a whole confusing thing. And then during the broadcast, they were making, you know, fact that there's more positive COVID cases in Arizona than there actually were in San Francisco. But yet here we are playing the game in Arizona. So, I mean, it's just a strange time for San Francisco. I mean, they come off the big win against the Rams, and then uh, this one fall a little flat against the Bills. Yeah, and the Bills, they become the last team in the 21st century to win a Monday night football game. They had the late score to the Niners that made it a little bit closer, the Jordan Reed touchdown. But the 49ers, just the injuries that they've dealt with at key positions, Jimmy G and Kittle, as we knew, no Nick Bosa, of course, but also coming into this game, the key inactive on Monday night that really turned this thing. Kawan Williams sat out, but also Emmanuel Mosley joined him on the inactive list. So two starting corners or two of their top three corners inactive for San Francisco. Josh Allen just tore him up. 300-plus passing yards, four passing touchdowns for Another game he passes Ryan Kelly for the most such games in a season in franchise history. He just continues to roll, Paul, 30 fantasy points, and he's broken back out after that midseason slump. Yeah, he has. In the last couple of games, uh, he has uh, breaking out, and just when you need him, especially here coming down the stretch, you were probably wondering, uh, can, is he reliable to get me going here in the playoffs and it looks like, yeah, the road may be a little tougher for him, but uh, I think you can stick with him as obviously a starter here down the stretch. You do not like the Steelers matchup. That's the one 13. I don't, yeah, that's the one I don't like. That's really tricky. And, of course, the Patriots, too, in Week 16 could be, it could be tricky with Bill. But Allen, what's he, the number three fantasy quarterback, there's going to be few options and they're going to be far between who would even against the Steelers be a better matchup with his rushing upside he's almost a must-start option you may be looking at the Herbert style if he was in a really good matchup I don't know if you feel so great after last week but he may have been someone in a good matchup you could throw in there of that ilk but yeah Allen's pretty close to a must-start even against Pittsburgh and those wide receivers for Buffalo, again, uh, they had a new one this week who came up, but you had Cole Beasley again leading the way, and uh, Stephon Diggs with a decent game as well. The Cole Beasley show again leads the team with 130 receiving yards and a touchdown catch. How about this? Cole Beasley, a top 25 fantasy receiver. I don't think a lot of people saw <laughs> nope. that coming this season. And Diggs, one of the fantasy finds, continues to be one of the fantasy finds. It's 2020. He was way underdrafted, similarly to Aaron Rodgers, a guy who's, I mean, maybe not a first ballot Hall of Famer yet, but 
certainly a pro bowler, has proven a lot. He's going like wide receiver 20. He was going way too late. 10 catches, 92 yards. He's just been phenomenal, Stephon Diggs, in his debut with the Bills. And Allen spread it around pretty well. Had another three players, Davis, Gabriel Davis, that being Isaiah McKenzie and Dawson Knox, all went for 25 yards and a touchdown. So just a comprehensive, balanced attack. The Patriots are mostly in their rear view here, but the Bills still have to worry about those 8-4 and four Dolphins if they're going to get that first division title since 1995. And their receiving group is a big reason why they're nearing that point. And on the 49ers side, you know, you might have some of these guys on your squad and you're wondering uh, how down the stretch we're going to look at. But, uh, you know, the wide receivers, Debo Samuel back, and uh, Brandon Nayuk has just been uh, a pretty good rookie find for you. He's, I think, the only guy I want on the outside right now for San Francisco. He's been incredibly consistent. Led the team with five catches, 95, and a touchdown. He's now got touchdowns in four of his past five games. And also the rookie, 75-plus receiving yards in four straight games. Very high floor. Debo took a while to get involved, ended up with six catches for 73. That coming off a big game against the Rams with 130. But, you know, he's missed time. He sat out weeks 8 to 10. He's been in and out. and Just the kind of player. Starts the game, don't know if he'll finish, what kind of situation it'll be going into Sunday morning. So Ayuk is really the guy I want if we're going San Francisco pass catchers. I got to ask this, too, because it did come out the quote from Greg Kittle, who said, I do want to be back in uh, the six week or the, the the earliest time frame that he was going to be out. Now, apparently, that would be, I believe, week sixteen. And obviously, if you're in the fantasy finals, that's a heck of a roll of a dice. But if he's back, would you put him in? You would have to have a pretty darn good option to not put him in. And the thing is, I mean, if if you took Kittle, you probably took him as your only tight end. I would think you're going to roll if he's healthy enough to play coming off the foot injury. I would have a tough time keeping a guy like him out of the lineup. I I cannot think of really anyone offhand who's. Can you think of anyone who's caught fire this season, Paul? Who you may have drafted late? Who you could have you could have on your roster with Kittle? I'm just trying to think of yeah. who even would be a tight end who we could put in there. I I don't have, but the whole temptation thing is there because you're like. Boy, he's missed a lot of time. I don't know how, you know, if they'll just get him on the field or what. And depending at that time, you know, where they're going to be, if they'll shut him down or not or use him all. But then it's like, but if I start him and he goes off, then I'm going to get rewarded big time. So, I mean, that's the tough decision that might come here if he's cleared to play. That's a great point. I mean, I'm looking at these options here like Hunter Henry, Ebron, Dallas Goddard, kind of guys who have exceeded their ADPs and been good values. Maybe you yeah. would have them with a Kittle on your team. But even then, Paul, I'm, I don't know. I'd have a tough time sitting them down. Ebron's been really consistent. He may be in a good matchup, someone that you could, but even then I'm having a tough time. I almost think you'd have to play Kittle unless you're seeing pregame really questionable things about his status. If he's out there, I think you got to play him. Saints and Falcons and, uh, well, Taysom Hill. All right, start once again for uh, the Saints leading them to another victory. It turns out he can throw. <laughs> they moved to 3-0 and now, and nine straight wins for the Saints. They're second over Atlanta in three weeks. They covered a three-point spread, so a good bet from your side there, Paul. Atlanta, they had their shot. I mean, Matty Ice. He threw a fourth down heave in the end zone the final two minutes. Julio Jones had a shot at it. Not a ball he should have caught, maybe could have caught, especially if he was just a little bit further back. Double covered, too, so a really tough play. But, yeah, Taysom Hill is just continuing to roll. 
first career NFL touchdown pass. He had two in this game. Last time he threw a touchdown, November of 2016, during his final season for BYU. So it's been a while for Taysom, but fantasy-wise, really solid. Rushing floor is going to get you decent production every week, 83 more yards on the ground in this one. And he had two rushing touchdowns, both his first two starts. So you're looking at a high-floor option. It's Taysom Hill. The thing is, though, we may be getting Breeze back here for Week 14. Okay. That is in the cards potentially. And I was going to say the matchup against the Eagles would be <laughs> if Hill's in there too. I still like that matchup, but if Breeze is rushing to get back, then yeah, obviously you like whoever New Orleans puts that quarterback for this game. You would. It's we talked about Darius Slay and the struggle in general, and it's also their offense, their inability to produce anything in Philadelphia. Problems with turnovers puts their defense in a lot of precarious spots. I will say this, Breeze, it's not over yet. Earlier in the week, Adam Schefter saying he could return. Today we're seeing he's not ready to ramp up his workload in practice, so it is midweek. He'll have two more chances to get on the field, but I think that tentatively uphills chances of making his fourth straight start Sunday. Breeze, there's a faint chance, seemed more likely early, earlier in the week, but now it's it's questionable right now. We'll keep an eye on it. Alvin Kamara, though, the last, uh, you know, the, down the stretch. It's been a roller coaster ride after, you know, a very phenomenal fantasy season here. So um, what can we go off of, I guess, down the stretch here? Obviously, you're starting him, but maybe I don't know if you can bank on those projection points they give for him every week. Yeah, they may be on the optimistic end based off his name. He was solid in this game, 17 points in fantasy, but obviously not phenomenal. His projections are often up near 25 in PPR. 37-yard run in this game helped him also had a touchdown run, but it's no joke. His pass-catching upside without Breeze in the lineup taking a big hit the last three games. Kamara, Alvin Kamara, has not been over 10 receiving yards in any of those three games. <laughs> With Breeze in the lineup, he averaged seven catches and over 70 receiving yards per game. So oh. that is a huge element of his game that is missing. If we get Breeze back 14, week 15, whatever it is, for Alvin Kamara, people invested in Alvin Kamara, that's going to be great news. I mean, think of that. That investment without him in there, you're losing almost, uh, depending on what your scoring system is, for receiving yards, it's almost 11 points a game uh, out the window because Breeze isn't in there. It's humongous. I mean, they're going to give him his 11, 12, maybe 15 carries on a really high-volume week for him. But Murray's going to get plenty of work between the tackles. It's just a huge part of Kamara's game. It's really not something that can be simply substituted. He can run like he's unbelievable, but it's just not a style of play where he's getting the workload he needs to be elite unless he's catching the ball. And on the Atlanta side, you know, some of these guys you're going to need on your roster, hopefully down the stretch to help you out and win. But it's been rough. Uh, I know we talked about Todd Gurley a couple weeks ago that, uh, yeah, definitely we, we both agree this is a guy who could help you win a championship. Uh, the last couple of weeks, though, it's been uh, tough sledding. It was a really rough week from him and a really tough matchup. Again, the same number two rush defense, Gurley, just eight rushes for 16 yards and one catch. That, the last detail there, has been the detail. He has not done practically anything in the receiving game this year, and that's made him really touchdown dependent. Very interesting call from Dirk Cutter, who I would also be, not to be rude, a little bit surprised if he's there next year. Mm -hmm. They had a huge situation, third and two in New Orleans red zone, the last two minutes, literally the play before that last second heave to Julio. They decide to run it on third and two with Gurley. Play lost like four yards. I, it was just... 
horrific in that situation. You haven't run the ball all day. Why are you going to it now? So, hey, it's a very questionable call. I don't know if they're utilizing Gurley in the right spot, but he's not the player he was, as we know, two, three years ago. And obviously a lot of you guys have Julio in there and uh, Calvin Ridley. I mean, you know, Matty Ice didn't have the greatest weeks, but to see them put up these numbers was pretty positive if you have those two. Yeah, I mean, Matty himself, just one touchdown, below 50% completion, but he did, on a high-volume day, still put up 273 passing yards. Translates over to the receivers, where Jones, his first game back from a hamstring, it doesn't. they play him even if they're out of it. Six catches for 94 yards. Ridley's been good all year. Tied Jones with a team-high 10 targets, and he had a solid fantasy day with 108 yards himself. So, really, at this point, another hugely disappointing season, another lost season for the Birds, and they they seem to have gotten fooled by that 6-2 and two run with Dan Quinn the second half of last season. That may have been, honestly, the worst thing that could have happened for this team. But, you know, two stars from a lost season, Foye Luakon, third-year linebacker out of Yale for the Falcons. He's really come on. He's second in the NFL in forced fumbles and leads the team in tackles. I think he's a pro bowler. And the fantasy note, little tidbit, best fantasy kicker, perhaps, Young Way Koo, special teams player of the month. He's 24 straight on field goals, and 7-for-7 seven seven from 50-plus. So a couple of nice pieces to build around, but another lost season in Atlanta. Saints going on to bigger and better things. Currently the NFC's number one seed. Up next for Week 14, our sitter starts and uh, who we like this matchup. And, uh, well, a guy he's been uh, back and forth here, Ryan Tannenhill. I mean, he started out great this season, but now, you know, kind of a slump. But uh, what do we see uh, this year, or I should say this week? Yeah, like you said, he carried it over from last season when he was comeback player of the year. Now, he's had some variation of late. But he's still, I mean, he's had some weeks where you just were not thrilled with him, but he hasn't busted, per se, once all season. He actually, last, you know, he had that middle of the season where he was very average, week 7 to 10, just 15 points per game. The last three, though, he's been over 19 points in three straight. And then his biggest game in a while, 27 points on the Browns, albeit, you know, a lot of junk time, another loss. But Tannehill, he's leveled out. And the Jaguars, meanwhile, fourth most fantasy points allowed to quarterback. The only concern I'd have is Tennessee, they're going to get up. They're going to run away with this game. I don't know the way Tennessee has been playing and the way Jacksonville's been playing, frankly. I mean, they're a bad team, but it's a divisional matchup, and they've held close. They've had a bunch of one-possession losses, the Vikings, the Browns, the Packers, playoff-caliber teams. So I think the Jaguars can keep it close, keep Tannehill throwing, and I think for that reason Tannehill is a good Week 14 DFS stream here. All right, I'm going to let you go fly on this one. What quarterback are you sitting this week? Well, if you got him, you're going to start him. But if we're talking DFS, I'm going to lean away from this guy, and you're not going to believe it. The number two fantasy quarterback, we're going to fade him, Kyler Murray. It's because that Giants defense, it is legit. I If it was Week 1, I would have been saying – Start Baker Mayfield against this Giants defense. They can't stop a nosebleed. Anybody with a pulse, I'd say run him out there. But this is going to be one of his tougher matchups of the season. Look what they did against Russell Wilson last week. Held him to one touchdown. Had an interception. The reason, big part of it, James Bradbury, a guy I really undersold coming into this year, he's been a just a touch below elite, according to Pro Football Focus. He's been really good in his first season with the Giants. We mentioned Leonard Williams and Jabril Peppers now. They're two good young pieces. And Murray here, on his end, he's slowed down the last couple weeks. New England completely shut him down. Under eight fantasy points. 
the Rams last week under 17 and a half. And you put his last three games together, he's been under his season-long average of 25.7 points in three straight games. So look, you got him on your team, and you're in deeper league. You're starting Kyler Murray. But for DFS, I do not think he's going to be worth the price tag for Week 14. And uh, running back position, we got excited this guy was back. But uh, after what his offense and uh, the team put up last week against New England, maybe not so excited about Austin Eckler. Yeah, some big names here with tougher matchups against the Falcons, who are a top 12 rush defense in terms of yardage. But also, believe it or not, the fourth stingiest defense in terms of running back fantasy points allowed. Both PPR and standard, their top five in PPR. Believe it or not, only New Orleans, Pittsburgh, and Washington are tougher against fantasy running back. Eckler, I'm putting him on the bench with Murray here. Not a great outing. You know, I made a bad call. I said the Saints backs would not do great against Atlanta last week. They Kamara did okay, but it's a different look here. Chargers, they do not offer the running threat, of course, that Taysom Hill is for the Saints. And Eckler, when he's been on the field, he's just not been as explosive this year compared to the last two. He's only played six games, but in those six games, 18-plus points three times, very good, but also under 11 points three times. I think this is going to be closer to the latter. I do not like him against that top 12 Falcons defense. And a running back to look at start this week. And this guy, it's been up and down for him. And you don't know sometimes which back is going to have the big game, but you are liking uh, Jonathan Taylor and the Colts this week. Yeah, and you know, he's kind of undersold expectations in fantasy, I feel like. But at the same time, he's he's had those weeks. Week 13 was one of them for him. He was the fifth highest scoring back in the NFL with 22.5 points, 13-plus carries, and 90-plus rushing yards in two straight now back-to-back games for Taylor. And the thing you liked, the PPR floor has been decent. Multiple receptions in seven straight games. Last week, 44 yards and a touchdown against Houston just as a pass catcher. The Raiders have been a really good running back matchup, and they've just not been a really good real-life team of late. I think that, you know, Indianapolis is going to have the ability to continue running it. I don't see Las Vegas pulling away and making the Colts throw it 40, 50 times. So those combinations, a good matchup, good volume for Taylor, who's playing hot. I think he's an RB2 for Week 14 that you could feel good about going up against Las Vegas. All right, some wide receiver options this week. We talked about this guy's quarterback, one to start, Tannehill for the Titans. And Corey Davis, who has had a heck of a comeback season, he's going to get paid this offseason. Uh, game in the matchup against Jacksonville this week, and you say get him in there. And unbelievable, the transformation. Uh, ESPN insider, Field Yates this week. He mentioned Corey Davis, he may pull multi-years, $10 million and upwards. He may be getting a contract <laughs> like that. Seriously, he's going to get a deal, like you said, Paul. Long considered a bust. Fifth overall pick in 2017, and the fourth-year breakout. He's missed two games, but if you extrapolate his stats out over a full season, he's on pace for 85 catches, 1,300 yards, and six touchdowns. Just revitalized his career, and it doesn't matter if A.J. Brown's out there or not. They're both doing pretty well in weeks they're both active. Last week against the Browns was Davis's best of the year, 35 fantasy points. Double digits in nine of ten games this year for Davis. His only dud was week nine against the Bears. So just a really high floor option. Also can pop with 35 like he did against the Browns. And I think he's a good stack in DFS. He'll be affordable with Ryan Tannehill. High upside against the Jags. Another receiver you like. I like to call this guy old reliable because you put him in and he just, he's 
Doesn't put up the flashy numbers, but he's always consistent, and that is Marvin Jones of the Lions, and he's got a matchup against the uh, Packers this week. Yeah, and kind of different from Corey Davis. It doesn't matter for Davis if A.J. Brown is around. For Marvin Jones, if Kenny Galladay is in the lineup, he it he'll disappear some weeks. Yeah. But if it's just Marvin Jones, you like your odds. I mean, he, overall, with Galladay missing a lot of time, he's a top 30 fantasy receiver coming off his biggest fantasy outing of the year with 26 points. And he's had six catches or more in three of his past four games. And he'll get you that. He'll get you the high floor like you talked about, Paul. But also, when he gets those touchdowns, and he is five since week eight, he gets you a big week. He's going to have to deal with a healthy dose of Jair Alexander from the Packers, who's been, again, really good. 54% completion rate allowed, just two touchdowns allowed. But I do think the workload is going to be there for Jones, who's had six-plus targets in four straight games. I'll take my chance with the volume. Hope he gets in the end zone. Probably won't even need to, but Galladay, again, did not practice today. It looks like Jones will probably be the number one option on the perimeter for Detroit. Going up against the Packers, not ideal matchup, but I think the volume will be there. And at tight end this week, we talked about him a little bit earlier, Eric Ebron for uh, Pittsburgh against Buffalo. Yeah, and you knew he had the ability. We've seen him be unbelievable as a fantasy tight end. I mean, that season with the Colts comes to mind. And with it just being a tight end wasteland out there, we've had, you know, Zach Ertz, he's had injuries, but he's also disappeared at times. He's 34th in scoring among tight ends. Jared Cook, Tyler Higby, both outside the top 15. We need the tight end who we can throw in there. And Ebron, he's been actually exceeding expectations, unlike those other guys. He was drafted 20th among tight ends, but he's currently 6th in scoring. And how about this for volume? 11-plus targets in back-to-back games seven catches in back-to-back games, and double-digit fantasy production in six of his past seven. Buffalo, not the defense we thought they would be. Look, they had to let go of some guys this offseason, but fifth-most fantasy points allowed to tight end. Ebron, really good play in Buffalo for the Steelers. Up next, we are in money time. Three notable fantasy playoff schedules. We're going to start off uh, the quarterback position. And, uh, again, Deshaun Watson, he has really come on the last couple weeks, and uh, this is looking very favorable down the stretch here. Yeah, now he's going to have to get past a couple of tough matchups the next two weeks, but he's going to, I think, light it up, especially if you're playing in a 17-week fantasy league. I know a lot of leagues cut it at 16, but, you know, the latter half of the playoffs, he's going to face Cincinnati and Tennessee, who's been just one of the biggest defensive letdowns of the season. He's got to get past the Bears. He's got to get past the Colts, who are both top seven against quarterbacks. But at the same time, he's Deshaun Watson. I do not think we're going to bench him. The way he's been playing, he's the last two months he's been out of control. So tough front half, easy back half for the fantasy schedule for Watson, and we're not putting him on the bench. Okay, Cam Newton up next for the Patriots. Tougher for him. He's got a really difficult fantasy playoff slate ahead of him, at least up front now. The first round of your playoff, on a short week, he's got to play the Rams, who have literally been the toughest quarterback defense in the NFL that's given up a league-low fantasy total to the position. Week after that, he's got the Dolphins, who have been feisty, top 12 quarterback defense. So Cam Newton, he's going to have to capitalize with some rushing scores, as we know. And I think the Rams this week is just a, a nightmarish matchup for him with what they offer up front. So next two weeks is going to be tough for Cam before it lightens up with the Bills on the back end of the playoffs. And this one at running back, no ball, no doubt. This guy, you know, one of the top backs, probably one or two I mean, I mean, this season. So he's helped carry your team. 
thus far, but here when it counts in the playoffs, very tough sledding for Dalvin Cook. Yeah, and this is the, just a warning because we know, of course, yeah. he's going to be in there. It's just to prepare you. You may have to get some contributions elsewhere because he may not put up his typical production. Tampa Bay, Week 14, this upcoming matchup, the NFL's number one rush defense just week after week. They chew up really good backs. Then Chicago, okay, they don't really scare you that much. We know they've got guys on defense, but Cook had his second lowest fantasy output of the season against them in Week 10. Okay, so that's two tough matchups. And then, okay, it's got to lighten up here. Uh, no, they got the Saints Week 16, the number two rush defense. We know we're not sitting them down, but a just he's going through the gauntlet is Dalvin Cook in the fantasy playoffs here. Bucks, Bears, Saints does not get a lot tougher than that. All right, let's go against the spread. Some of these games. Games this week, uh, yes, uh, game one right off the bat. It's uh, going to be uh, Washington at San Francisco, Arizona, wherever they are this week. And uh, Washington uh, is given three and a half in this one. Or uh, t- I'm, help me out here. Exactly. Well, they're playing the Los Angeles Angels event. Yeah. I mean, the San Francisco 49ers of Arizona. Yes. Uh, yeah, the Washington's getting points. They're road underdogs here, and I've seen this line come down to three where San Francisco's only favored by three in some spots, but watching that game against Buffalo, it seems like the 49ers in prime time this year are not coming up big, and this will not be in prime time at Sunday late afternoon kickoff, but I just like the way Washington is playing. Of course, they love their coach about as any much as any team in the NFL. Three and one with Alex Smith as the starter. He had a Kurt Schilling like bloody stock moment. <laughs> I mean, they've got to get hot. I it's hard to imagine them not getting on a run with the, those factors playing in. Their only loss was on a walk off 59 yarder to the Lions, so they could be 4-0 with Alex Smith. Yeah, just very impressive what they're doing. And the 49ers, kind of a similar argument to last week. I we betted. I didn't like them against the Bills, but again, it's a Kyle Shanahan team with their backs against the wall. They're just on life support. They're not. They don't have the guys, I don't think. And yeah. I both sitting at five and seven on paper, it's even. But I like taking Washington with the points. I mean, just have to keep it within three to win this bet. I'm going to take Washington on the road as underdogs against the 49ers. I do like that fact that you just keep it within the three here. And uh, I, I like the way you're leaning with Washington. I, I think I'll go with them, too, because of the factors with San Francisco. There's just too many guys missing at this point. And Washington, I mean, they've really come together. They've gelled as a team. And uh, they got you believing that, uh, yes, the NFC East is the worst division in football, but they're playing some pretty good ball right now. And, uh, heck, they might have a winning record by the end of the year to make the playoffs. They, if they win these last four, they'll make that. And the only thing you got to keep in mind uh, or an eye on here, they're tied with the Giants. But, of course, the Giants, they've already played twice and have won both as Big Blue. So Washington not only has to pull even as they are currently with the Giants, but they have to pretty much beat them by a game to get that tiebreaker up next it's going to be new orleans at philadelphia and uh, a seven point road favorite for new orleans in this one that's right i mean the change of quarterback could that spark something from the eagles that's the question we saw it in spots against green bay you know the long touchdown from Hertz ultimately couldn't close the deal but that's what you'd be playing for if you're taking the philly side i just think the Saints are a juggernaut team right now. Against the elite teams, I could see them stumbling. But against the mess that has been the Eagles, I just think Hurts is going to struggle. Maybe the best defense in the NFL, if not the most underrated at least. Yeah, we'll see if Breeze plays, if Hill plays. It doesn't matter. They're 3-0 under Hill. And I just think this opening assignment for Hurts 
is really tough, and it may even be a thing with Doug Peterson. Look, fine, you'll get your rookie quarterback out there, but he's going to face the Saints. So we'll see how this kid does. I don't know if there's a little bit of that baked in, but I think the Saints win and cover the seven on the road. Man, I'm having a – am I going to go the Philly way? I might in this because – he did generate a little bit more offense when he got in against Green Bay, had the touchdown. I mean, well, they had the punt return, but he he started moving them a little bit, not anything to brag about. I think it's just it's a switch, and, yeah, you you do point out New Orleans, very tough defense that he's going out with. I don't think Philly wins the game, but I think they sneak in below that seven in, in, in that way. I'll, I'll go with that. I'll take New Orleans outright, but I think Philly sneaks in. To uh, cover, you know, to break that seven up. You're getting a lot of points here, and yeah. I mean, they they might be playing for their life. I mean, if they lose this game, <laughs> uh, the city could be set. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, but exactly. That's the point too. <laughs> it's a huge game for the Eagles and for Doug Peterson. I mean, he we talked about it. He's only a couple years removed from the Super Bowl, but he, they may have to show something for him to keep his job. I hope not. I think he is an excellent coach. We'll see though. They they have to show something. I feel like otherwise. We just don't know what's going to happen. And finally, on the Monday night football game, Baltimore, one-point favorites, going on the road to Cleveland. And, yeah, this is a great Monday night game here. Cleveland, a pretty tough rush defense. They're eighth best in the NFL after ranking 30th last season. So they've really improved in that regard, which is a good thing for facing Baltimore, who's run for 200-plus yards 12 times since the start of last season. Just unbelievable rushing production. For me, very even game, but, you know, we saw the season opener. I know Baker's come around. He had maybe his best game as a pro, week 13 against the Titans with four passing touchdowns. I just, this Ravens defense against Baker and the Browns, until proven wrong, I think I've got to take the Ravens, and it's almost a pick here. In some places you'll get it as a pick but I'll even take the Ravens as one-point favorite. To cover win on the road in Cleveland, I'm taking the Ravens. Yeah, you mentioned a key fact there. Who do I trust more at quarterback, Lamar Jackson or Baker Mayfield? And, yeah, Baker coming off a great game against the Titans, but I don't know if I can believe him yet. Now, will they – I don't think they'll have the ball in his hands a lot in this game to trust him. I think they'll swap out Chubb and, and Hunt and uh, use that as – more of their basis to try to uh, beat up this Baltimore defense. But I I got to go with Baltimore. I think Lamar Jackson gets it done in the end. I'm with you, and that may be my favorite pick of the three. So we're <laughs> in agreement on two, differing on one. We'll both go Baltimore as one-point favorites. Both take Washington as three-and-a-half-point dogs, and then you're going to take, sounds like, Eagles with the seven. Yes. And I'll take the Saints to cover a big spread there on the road. Just in case I have vacation plans in the Philadelphia area, I will be welcome there. They'll be Maybe. No matter what happens, even if they lose, don't cover. I mean, you, you took their side. <laughs> well, again, Corey, thanks for your time. Help with us break it down with these important matchups coming up with fantasy right here. I mean, this is the fun time of it. Good luck to everyone listening. Look, I, our fantasy advice might be better than our picks, but <laughs> doing our best. Uh, hey, fancy playoffs, baby. This is the time of year. We got it going. So, another good show, Paul. Thanks for having me. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone and give us a five star rating while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast.